0: Well, when the best thing that 2020 had to give us was the Tiger King, surely there's something more exciting to look forward to in 2021, like this podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah Wank, and I'm joined by
1: Adam Penn, Gabe Blank, and Larry Frank
0: for another episode of Midnight Theology, the late night ponderings of four pastor friends. We talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life, especially as they relate to the Methodist Wesleyan movement. We hope that you've been able to catch the last couple of episodes, especially uh, just the previous episode with Reverend Dr. Michael Beck and his new book on digital, Fresh Expressions, uh, which stretched all of us in how to think differently about ministry when everything around us has changed. Today, we want to talk about Easter a bit, since we just celebrated Easter, and why the resurrection really matters to us. As you heard in our introductory episode, I am a preacher's kid and have only known life inside the Methodist Church. In an evangelical, that is in a good evangelical sort of way, um, I experienced um, salvation in Christ, movements towards holiness and sanctification, and of course, the full and complete celebration of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead on Easter Sunday. In fact, in my household, Easter was probably more celebrated than Christmas. It was our high holy day, and I still look forward to it each year with all the traditions that we bring with it. So I remember being shocked and surprised when I learned that not everyone celebrated Easter and the resurrection, that not everyone believed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that even some clergy and theologians and pastors and seminarians and lay people struggle to believe in Jesus's resurrection. It has been a sort of mind-altering experience for me with the background that I have with it being such a celebration. And I think um, with you guys, I'm not alone in that surprise. That We've all been sort of shocked and um, our minds stretched a bit. Uh, especially in the past several years at how regular the conversation um, revolves around Jesus's resurrection. And if it's a thing that actually happened, so did Jesus actually rise from the dead? um, Was his body actually resuscitated? And does it mean anything to us? And part of me loves the theological stretch. The other part of me can't believe we're having this conversation. So... With that said, Larry, I know you've had some similar experience with the shock and surprise of, um, especially in our Wesleyan Methodist world, of people not believing in the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with that?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I became a Christian at a week of church camp when I was 14 years old. Um, and I studied as much as I could, learned as much as I could. I had uh, uh, my local church was wonderful and um, encouraging me towards uh, ministry and signing me up for lay servant classes. Um, and back when they were called lay speakers. And I became one of the lay members to annual conference um, for those outside of United Methodist Speak. That's our yearly gather, regional gathering to make decisions for our, our conference. Anyway, I was 15 years old um, and I'm at a session of annual conference. I'm attending one of the lunches, which used to be a much bigger deal. Now we all uh, go off site and, and whatnot. Uh, I was at one of the meals and somebody is handing out this new book. Um, from Abingdon Press. Uh, It had just come out in 2002 uh, and this person is telling everybody how much this book has, um, impacted them. It set them free from the shackles of, of dogmatic, uh, of dogmatic doctrine, uh, things of that sort. So I, I gladly took a copy of the book. Uh, the book was called affirmations of a dissenter, uh, by Bishop C Joseph Sprague at the time he was the Bishop of the Northern Illinois, uh, conference, um, and even as a new Christian, as I read a lot of the things uh, in the book, I, I was kind of scratching my head trying to reconcile what I was reading in scripture, what I was learning in church with this very important figure in the denomination that I was uh, a part of. Um, you can do all sorts of research on Bishop Sprague and see that he was um, he was brought up on, on, uh, on a chargeable offense for disseminating doctrine uh, that was contrary to the United Methodist Church. I think those charges were dropped. I'd have to go back and look. Um but a lot of like traditional doctrine things he challenges, uh, during the book, uh, and it was really my first exposure to someone challenging the resurrection, uh, of Jesus. So I found the book on my shelf when we were getting ready for this. Uh, I've so got it and I, it's, it's kind of fun looking at my 15 year old handwriting arguing with this guy. Like I was so sure that he was wrong and I was right. I still think, um, he was wrong in a lot of his, um, affirmations, um, Uh, I'm maybe not quite so brazen in the things that I wrote versus what I would say now. Um, But as he got into that, um, he said, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but I cannot affirm that the resurrection involved the resuscitation of his physical body. And that was my first moment of there are Christians out there. There is a leader, a bishop in my denomination who does not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Um, and like you said, Sarah, this comes up like once a year, we, we, we see another blog post or on a podcast or some, you know, seminary professor somewhere saying, yeah, I don't know what the big deal is about the bodily resurrection. Um, so it it's been a big deal for me uh, all the way going back to, to that book. And it, I know it's a conversation that, um, that, that keeps coming up.
0: Yeah, and not surprising, right, Um, that if we all had the upbringing and experience of the bodily resurrection of Jesus being an essential part of our Christian belief, it certainly would be earth-shattering, right, world-shaking to consider that there are people who believe in an alternative. In some ways, it feels like a new conversation to me. um, Because again, I have this long history, right, where uh, the people I was exposed to, uh, shared the same belief, but in some ways, it's not a new discussion, right? Um, there are historical conversations, right, um, that have have brought this same topic to light every now and again in the history of the church. Um, Adam, I know you have some uh, experience in knowing where those conversations have begun and how they've continued, particularly in the Methodist strand. So um, would you help us get our heads a little bit around um, what this has looked like for us in the Methodist church?
1: Yeah. Um, and I would definitely by no means label myself an expert in United Methodist history or church history for we that would, matter. Adam, we do <laughs> have that label now. Great, yeah. great. You okay, do. wonderful. Um, so, uh, as a noted uh, Methodist church historian, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we can kind of trace this back to the turn of the 20th century uh, where there was kind of this push to demythologize. Christianity to an extent, Um, so you know, obviously, um, a dead person um, walking out of the grave is not something that we experience on a daily basis, Um, and so uh, when we started to see kind of this prevalence of a a scientific secular worldview that kind of offers a rational explanation for the otherwise supernatural things we might experience. Um, there was a well-intentioned group of theologians that uh, I believe thought that if we could apply those same uh, principles to Christianity, um, that we could make it more approachable for people with that sort of worldviews. That makes sense. Mm, so, sure. you know, so there was there was kind of this push to demythologize Christianity or to take anything that's out of the realm of the ordinary. Um, and offer a reasonable explanation that fits into um, that worldview. And so, uh, you know, we, we see a, um, quite a few theologians that kind of started moving that direction. One of the first notable ones um, in, in Methodist church history is Borden Parker bound, and while he did affirm the resurrection, um, he started to kind of make these moves towards a, um, a spiritualizing of these otherwise um, – uh, f- very physical, uh, very real events that are told about in Scripture, um, and offering more spiritual explanations um, for them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so so there was just kind of this this move to to kind of explain away some of these things that kind of are out of our own realm of experience. Um, and now, uh, when it comes to Actually, historically verifying uh, that Jesus walked out of the grave, um, there are other historians from that era um, who have made arguments and very good arguments about the the historicity of the resurrection itself. And Larry actually mentioned one of them.
2: Wait, did uh, you just use the word historicity
0: <laughs> I did. while while claiming wh- that
2: that you're not a history expert? I See, mean, <laughs>
0: that's why you're the resident yeah. historian. Historicity,
3: historicity. I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. You know, before is, that, you, is it hysterosity or hystericity? I honestly don't know. <laughs> well, n- now you're no
2: longer the expert.
0: <laughs> you know, before you keep going, I i get it, right? I get it. When you're thinking about sharing who Jesus is, sharing the Bible, sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard, who don't believe, who might be skeptical, it sounds crazy cakes, right? I mean, yeah, most totally. of the stuff oh, that, totally that comes up in our history, things like... You know, people being physically healed, physical resurrection, the miracles that took place, uh, you know, believing that those things happened literally, as you offer that to someone who doesn't believe, you go, to them, I sound legitimately crazy, cuckoo, right? Because it's not something we experience in, in everyday life. So, so I get the desire to make it uh, applicable, you know, within reach for people who, who that would be out of reach for. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, but in doing that, we've really we've just really missed the opportunity to to present why believing in Jesus is so miraculous, so supernatural in, in what it can give to you. So just a little a little like, um, I get it, right? I get why he would have the desire to shift the conversation to just make it a little more attainable for folks. but um, yeah, but yeah, don't let don't let that derail you. Um, Keep going. Share uh, where else that has gone for us in our history.
1: Um, yeah, so so we kind of see this move towards uh, demythologizing, or or kind of starting from what we know about the world, or what we think we know about the world, and how we think we know it, instead of really starting with scripture. And I and I think that you know this was also around the time that um, historical biblical uh, criticism had kind of taken hold. In theologian circles. And so, you know, we're kind of approaching the Bible with this air of skepticism to say, well, just because the Bible says it doesn't necessarily mean it had to happen in exactly the way the Bible said it did. Yeah. Right. Um, And so that gives you a little bit of room um, to begin interpreting certain scriptures um, that, yes, while it might have said that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, uh, does that mean he literally walked out of the tomb? You know, um, or can we take that to mean um, something else um, that, that might be a little bit easier for us to grasp um, from our own experience? Um, right. And so uh, I think the, the biggest shift that you saw um, in the 20th century was starting from the place of your own personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and using personal experience as kind of the starting place for your theological reasoning, rather than Scripture. And so you're saying, based on what I understand about the world and what I have experienced um, in the world, how can I understand this passage of Scripture instead of how is this passage of Scripture and what the Bible is telling me, how does that shape me as a person and how does that shape the way I should understand the world as a result?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head in in a couple of shifts that happened there. You know, one is sort of spiritualizing um, the events of the Bible instead mm-hmm. of, you know, believing in them actually. Um, and and certainly there are some places for interpretation um, over the years. But yeah, there's been a general like, well, I can't get my head around this concept. So, so it must have been a spiritual concept, right? Not an, an actual physical one. And, and then another shift of sort of, Um, saying, I process the Bible through me, instead of me processing myself through the text, right? Yes. Um, And it certainly has been uh, a major shift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has to have been a question from um, even long before the 20th century, as John Wesley, you know, wrote regularly on the topic of bodily resurrection, um, and felt pretty strongly about trying to prove that, right, right? Particularly on the Resurrection of the Dead sermon um, by John Wesley, that he he's had he was set to prove right how it is not out of the ordinary, not incapable um, of God to bring the dust of Jesus's body back together right um, in the mm-hmm. same pieces in the same way, but it is it is a. Uh, I understand how it's stretching for folks. Um, and actually, in our next episode, we're going to get into the topic of miracles. And this kind of goes with that just a bit, right? That it's, it's difficult for us to understand sometimes um, and get our heads around the concept of the miraculous and the supernatural, especially when you don't have personal experience with it, right? So, if it's not something that you've seen or witnessed, the things of healing or miracle, um, then it it seems like too much, too far of a stretch, right? Um, mm-hmm. But there are certainly consequences um, in our belief, in the way we live out faith, if we believe that the resurrection could not be literal, right? Um, it's, not, it's not a meaningless piece of theology that if we say it one way or the other, it doesn't have an impact. Um, believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, his body resuscitated, not just a um, a spiritual resurrection, but a physical one, um, is significant to us. It has meaning to us and has consequence. Um, so, so, I guess I'd like to spend a minute talking about, um, you know, is this resurrection of Jesus a thing, right? Um, what... What really happened? Um, was it a physical resurrection? But maybe most importantly, why does that matter to us? Why does it matter that Jesus was actually um, His pieces of dust put back together in bodily form? Um, yeah, I, what, does that, what does that mean to you guys?
2: I, I think historically, because I, I, I'm probably the one that goes the opposite direction from trying to spiritualize things that happen in Scripture to make sense of them to being so rational about things that i i need other things to help me verify it um and you can you can talk about paul saying if christ be not raised from the dead our preaching's in vain our faith is useless um but when i we will in a moment yeah we're we're, we're, we're (laughs) gonna go there i have have no doubt of that no doubt about that but when i think of things outside of scripture that that kind of that kind of show that the historical verifiability of the resurrection of Jesus, you don't die for a spiritualized resurrection. You know, when, when so many of the disciples were put to death for their faith, you don't, you don't risk life and limb for something that didn't actually happen in, in a physical way. Um, so one of them for me, um, I, I get kind of obsessed with archeology span of the Holy land, um, is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and Gabe and Sarah and I have all been there um, and it's this holiest place in Christianity it's so hard to imagine it being a burial ground uh, this church has been built up um, but in um you know, Christians were coming to that place and, and, and holding liturgical celebrations at this tomb as the empty tomb of Jesus that he physically walked out of uh, as, as early as, as 66, um, before 66 AD when the Romans uh, took over, Emperor, Emperor Hadrian made it into a temple to Aphrodite. So no longer a place of Christian worship. And Christians continue to break in to this temple to worship. Mm-hmm. and there, there's graffiti uh there where christians were were making their their marks of of this being a church during the time that it was a temple to aphrodite you don't break into someone else's house for something that didn't happen yeah yeah you know, so that that's one of those things to me that I'm like wow i mean people are risking so much uh to continue to worship in this in this place and some people put to, put to death uh uh, for this, so outside of letting the text win or the temptation to spiritualize it, those are the things that
3: uh, that that speak a lot to me. yeah, I agree with you Larry there 's a lot in the life of the church uh, good, bad, and indifferent uh, over the years uh, that we look back in the history of Christianity where people have put their lives on the line uh, and there's there's a little bit of a difference between standing at the stake to be burned and offering yourself in an active uh, way of aggression to stand up for your uh, beliefs. Uh, and Christians have done both. Uh, but uh, holding to the truths of our faith and our understanding of a physical bodily resurrection, uh, even just the fact that Jesus was God. Um, people have died for that passively. And that's that's a little different. That's, that's pretty big. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah.
1: Well, and also, you know, like if it wasn't a big deal, um, the the gospels wouldn't spend so much time uh, on the resurrected Jesus, right? You know, all of the accounts that we have of of the resurrected Christ appearing uh, to his disciples after his resurrection, um, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the most notable ones is doubting Thomas, right? Where you have the risen Christ, you know, telling Thomas, right, put your fingers in my side. See that it's me. Like if you, it, you know, if you don't believe, touch, you know, touch my resurrected body, my that still bears the scars of the crucifixion, and see for yourself. Yeah.
2: yeah and while the temptation's there to spiritualize those things, uh, I remember Ben Witherington saying over and over in seminary, and the three of us that went to Asbury, moment for Ben, uh, <laughs> uh, he, he would say the stories in the Gospels are too unlikely to not be true. Yeah mm. if if you're if you're making up a false narrative and you want to win people to your argument you do things with particularly around the resurrection story differently. Yeah. Like in that culture you don't have women be the first ones at the tomb. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, there's so much that. to it that's like why would they make themselves look stupid? Right? For something that would then later cost them their lives, uh, reputations, credibility, um, you know, women as the first witnesses, uh, but even just, yeah, why would they be so willing to declare this message over and over again, build their whole lives around it when it was utterly ridiculous? If you're looking to build your reputation, start a movement, ridiculous isn't usually the way to go right it's usually like with credibility and fact and 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 uh, respectful reputation right that people would, would want to stand on and it and you can see a shift in the gospels right with the disciples where they they move from fear to this incredible courage and a sort of like I don't I don't care if you believe this I don't care if you think it's ridiculous right this this actually happened and to watch their shift in attitude yeah would tell me that they there are many other messages they could have shared if this if it was simply about um, you know a sort of nice spiritual thing. it's ridiculous enough that their response then is also ridiculous and that that says something right Yeah, like you said you don't put your whole reputation and your life on something ridiculous that you can't also um, verify right They had a verified experience in that.
2: Yeah, so it's it's just this shift that that we've been talking about. We've gone from this being a very settled issue in the early church um, to more and more questioning, and then particularly around the things that Adam said, we started to see this huge shift away from, you know, questioning everything that happened in the Scripture and, and being suspicious about about everything when, um, you know, uh, tradition says otherwise.
0: You know, I didn't really plan on going here, but we'll, we'll see where we go with this anyway. You know, do you think there's a correlation between... Um, supernatural experiences in general, right? And the buy-in to the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, and now probably less supernatural experience, at least in the white Western culture, right? Church culture, and the inability to sort of buy into a bodily resurrection. Um, You know, this was not the first miracle (laughs) the disciples had witnessed, right? Um, They had traveled with Jesus and seen Him Raise people from the dead and cleanse the leper, right? And heal the sick. And so this is not a surprise to them, likely then. Um, but we very much live in a Christian era or a segment of Christian era where we have really sort of closed ourselves off to to the supernatural um, as being a, a real thing. Mainline,
1: mainline yes. tradition, yeah.
0: Yeah, mainline, white, Anglo-Saxon, right, sort of yeah. uh, parts of the world. This would not be true of the global church, right? But for where we are and our context, um, we don't talk about healing and miracles and resurrection, right? And so, then the resurrection of Jesus would be out of reach. So, it's it's not um, a far step for me to say, no wonder we struggle with it. We struggle with the supernatural, right? Um, the divine supernatural, right? Uh, godly supernatural in general. Um, and so, that... It, it just seems too out of reach for folks, I think.
2: No, I think that's probably true.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we aren't the only ones who feel passionately about this. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 comes to mind, right? And Paul's defense of the resurrection and um, what's on the line with it. And he gets pretty explicit in how significant this is for Christians. Let me just read a quick part of that passage. I'm kind of looking at um, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, or verses 12 through 28. Um, and this is the New International Version. It just says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you you are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We, of all people, must be pitied. I mean... I think he feels pretty strongly <laughs> about the verification of Jesus's resurrection and sort of lays out what's on the line with that and it is it is quite a thread right like he's He's talking about the resurrection of the dead for all people, right um, and then correlates that directly to Christ's resurrection, but then says things like why are why are we preaching this if it's not true and they the the statement where he says, "Well then we're just false witnesses um, is pretty strong right to label yourself as potentially um you know, doing harm to the gospel or being a false witness is pretty significant, and then there's no such thing as forgiveness of sins, and that means everybody who's dead is essentially lost, and Paul just kind of like <laughs> blows up the whole thing, right? If you don't believe in Jesus and in, in his resurrection from the dead, then all of this is useless. Um, I have to admit, I kind of stand with Paul in that yeah. um, it makes me wonder why I would even be in ministry if the resurrection of Jesus isn't real. Um, what does that you, you stir could, up in you
2: guys? You could summarize it really, really briefly. The church has one story. Yeah, he has risen. Everything else hinges on this. If this did not happen, if Jesus did not physically walk out of the grave, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? Yeah, I think
3: yes. Paul particularly uh, stands out to me because he himself was a non-believer. He himself was skeptical, he himself was, was seeking to destroy this new movement, the way, the followers of Jesus, this, this person who, well, had died, uh, and the, the, the witness that Paul provides of himself meeting the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, and uh, kind of being struck blind because of the brilliance and the radiance of Christ and hearing a voice, knowing that it's the Lord because Jesus identifies as himself and says, go here, do this. And uh, little by little, Paul recognizes and he grows into this new understanding of who the God is that he, he's trying to serve and protect, but he was pursuing and persecuting really is embodied in the man, person, human God, Jesus. And so it's that is that is huge to think that, you know, the letter that you referenced, uh, Sarah, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written by Paul, a man in chains, a man in prison, uh, f- to defend his faith and his understanding of who God is uh, to the world, uh, but to his own people, the Romans, the Roman culture, uh, in, in in his is he is a great testimony as an as as a person historically uh, and somebody we can also identify with a lot of us don't none of us start understanding our faith in this group in a miraculous way it's not like God is doing things like we read in Scripture every day around the block, and yet over time, the longer we pursue God, it seems as if the more God reveals Himself in ways that are unexplainable, and we call those miracles.
0: You know, Gabe, what a what a cool point! Not just about um, Paul's extreme passion. For the gospel as a prisoner in chains. But I mean, he had a a pretty significant career (laughs) before he met Jesus, right? Like, um, he had good standing, good reputation in his circle, right? And um, authority in his line of work, and because of an experience and encounter, right, with God, and then growing in his belief of, of Jesus' resurrection and what that meant for everyone, um, you know, throwing reputation, authority, position out the door um, to be a prisoner in chains. You know, why would, why would somebody be willing to go to that kind of extreme with their own livelihood and life um, if they didn't truly and utterly believe this to be possible? You know, we have um, reason for this to matter, I think. Um, It applies to our ministries directly, you know? Um, What does it mean to you as pastors, people who are doing your best to point people to hope and life in Christ and transformation? (laughs) What does it mean for your ministry on the ground, right, to not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think, you know, I'll just jump in here with, you know, to kind of stick with this uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that we've kind of been looking at. Um, in the next part of that, uh, Paul talks about Christ being the first fruits of those raised from the dead. Yeah. And really, the resurrection is at the the center of the coming of God's kingdom, right? You know, I mean, that's the work that, that we are about in ministry is that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, And uh, Christ, uh, Christ's resurrection is, is, you know, uh, where that kingdom began to come. He was the first fruits, you know, it was more than just, um, you know, cause we have the, we have the raising of Lazarus in the Bible as well. Right. And so that's a, that's a case of resuscitation from the dead, but Christ's resurrection was way more than a resuscitation. You know, his, his resurrected body is the same body that we will see when we meet Jesus face to face on the final day. Right. Um, it's it's way more than that. It is about establishing this new creation, this renewed creation um, that we now have the privilege of, of being a part of um, and, and uh, the, the the privilege of working towards in ministry. Um,
0: yeah, and, Adam, I, yeah. your <laughs> Lazarus being resuscitated meant that Lazarus died again one yes. day, yeah. right? Sure. Um, he endured the thing of death again, you know, to then... Go be with Jesus. Um, so Jesus' resurrection has to be more than, you know, resuscitation. It has to be divine and supernatural, right? And it's creation of something brand new. And Jesus is conquering of death, right? Um, um, yeah. Otherwise, He's just a dead body in the ground, Right. Or he was miraculously raised, what, only to die again later, and there's nothing that miraculous in that. Nothing that creates new life, new hope, new possibility.
2: And I think as, as pastors, that's something we, when we're sitting and, and dealing with somebody whose world has been shattered into, into a million pieces, and it matters a lot to them. Yeah. Right. the stuff they're going through no matter how tragic it might seem to someone else whatever whatever we're going through it feels really real and really important to us if Jesus wasn't physically raised from the dead then God doesn't care about all of this you know that it's the Jesus walking out of the grave is God's stamp of approval on this whole creation project and the first sign as Adam said first fruits of those born from the dead the first sign of the new creation
1: putting together what was broken
2: yeah, I don't think I can sit in in a hospital room and and talk to somebody who's just lost their child mm-hmm. if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. What are what are we doing here if he has it? And I get this—I've gotten this question throughout my whole ministry in many different forms, and I'm sure you all have too. Do you really believe this stuff? And when you're talking about the miracles, whether Old Testament, New Testament, resurrection of Jesus, do you really believe? In all this stuff when my world's been shattered into a million pieces when a person I'm talking to has had their world shattered into a million pieces I'm not just I, I don't just believe it I'm counting on it to be true because mm-hmm. if it's not yeah. true man what are we doing here I I, yeah, I need it, it to it, be true
0: it brings together this is a story of redemption right and redemption is the reclaiming right of what was lost and what was broken and I don't know that that redemption is possible without the physical resurrection of Jesus. Um, otherwise, it's a nice story, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus was a great guy, but it doesn't offer any on-the-ground hope that God is still in on this, that he's, he's working to fix it, that he's unfolding a new creation um, that gives us hope that, that God is is still in process with this very broken, sinful thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think without it, I'd have to throw in the towel, right? Because yeah. what, what do I have to give, folks? If not, the redemption of the whole world and all of humanity for all time, all for the glory of God, right? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're, what's the point?
2: You're going to be standing up and shouting. Woo, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs>
0: Let
3: me boil that down into a small phrase.
2: Yeah.
3: Matter Matters. Matter matters Ooh. to God. Mm. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> it's true.
0: Hey, there are a lot of things that matter to me. Over the course of 2020, I think we've learned a lot about what actually matters to us and what doesn't actually matter to us. And I know 2020 is over, but let's be honest, there's, there's like a hangover, right? A carryover. We're waiting to see if 2021 gets any better. Amen, but sister. one of the things I think we all learned that mattered to us in 2020 was the menu at Taco Bell
3: oh come on (laughs) i mean
0: seriously we're going there (laughs) it was devastating (laughs) so if you didn't know in the summer of 2020 due to the ripple effects of covid taco bell made some major overhaul and changes to its menu in an effort to cut down on supply and resources that they would need in their staff and in their product and turns out you can't change things without people throwing a fit about it. And I think the four of us are probably not surprised because we live in church world where we know you cannot change things (laughs) without pushback. And so if the four of us could have advised Taco Bell to maybe not change their menu and overhaul it in 2020, we probably would have told them that that change was a bad idea.
3: maybe three of us, not four of us. I I think I think...
2: my advice to Taco Bell would have been close.
3: Never. <laughs> just, just close. Oh, Larry, Larry Frank. Just, just, close. Not a fan? just close. Are you not a fan? Taco yeah, Bell I, is... I, I,
2: I can think of about a million other crappy fast food restaurants that I would go to before Taco Bell.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, this will seem random, but um, do you do you go camping, Larry? Frequently. Yeah. More he,
2: frequently at one time than another. You, yeah.
0: Did you sleep in a sleeping bag? Yes Did you know that People in sleeping bags Are really just Soft tacos to bears It's really It's really all we are. Wow.
1: People
2: burritos I people mean this was, This was already A weird enough segue from <laughs> Resurrection to this And now it just Got weirder Congratulations. Hey listen
0: It's all because Redemption is possible <laughs> If you are a Taco Bell menu follower, you will see that due to protest and signed petition and pushback from Taco Bell customers that Taco Bell reversed part of its decision and brought back all potato items and my favorite, whatever the nacho crunch taco thing is. So redemption is possible in Christ and redemption is possible at Taco Bell.
1: Except for, except for, (laughs) except for. The beefy Fritos burrito I, did not yeah. come back. And there is not a thing on that menu. Yes, there is not a yeah. thing on that menu with Fritos included anymore. What? And so you know what I do now? I have figured you out. Bring your own Fritos? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I really keep Fritos
1: to- <laughs> on hand for that very purpose. <laughs> we really
2: need to work on developing your palate. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: Is the most awesome thing. So, yeah, um, to those listening, if you learned anything today, bring your own Fritos and there will be redemption. And don't ask
1: Larry to eat Taco Bell with you.
0: Don't. He can't hang. Well, if you can't hope in Jesus's redemption of all things, I guess you can hope in a little redemption at Taco Bell. I refuse. Hey, we hope you join us for the next episode where we will be talking about miracles together. Uh, A lot of the struggle around that conversation and, of course, a lot of the hope and promise that's found in a God who still works miracles. So, check us out next month as a new episode of Midnight Theology drops then. Until then, remember, life is not a fairy tale. If you lose your shoe at midnight, you're probably drunk. (laughs)
3: Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, was
0: My good? mom listens to this. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I can't
3: believe you're talking <laughs> about it.